Good morning, Cedar Run. Um, in just a moment, Pastor Blake is going to be bringing us a message and teaching in the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians. So I'd like for you now to either take out your Bible or take out your phone or take out your uh, iPad or laptop or whatever you might have with you um, and join me in the fifth chapter of Galatians, starting at the 13th verse. And I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and these like things of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. For those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Thanks, John. Good morning, Cedar Run. My name is Blake. Uh, as always, I am your friendly neighborhood life group pastor here at Cedar Run. Uh, and we're going to do a little mini-series on the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to be talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And in two weeks, today's the fruit of the Spirit. I'm getting them all mixed up already. So today we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And then in two weeks, I'll talk to you guys about the gifts of the Spirit. So go ahead. We can stay in Galatians 5 this morning. And I may have to try something new today so I can see you guys. Whoa, okay. I can see faces now. I had to pretend before, all right? I can really see you. <laughs> so Paul is writing to the Galatians, obviously, right? They are a group of churches. They are Christians. 
Now, they're a very religious church. Uh, they liked Jewish tradition. They liked the way they did church a certain way. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but they had some leaders that were really focused on tradition, uh, and they left out Christ. So the focus was how they did church. So they indulged in the flesh, not in the ways we normally think about it, like freewheeling, crazy behavior, and stuff like that. So they indulged in the flesh in a different way. It was a more subtle way. And it was creating this division uh, and this backbiting uh, within the church. <clears throat> it was ministry on ministry, MMA. Uh, and they were kind of in danger of devouring each other and crashing uh, the church. So Paul responds. He gives this famous list, right? The fruit of the Spirit. One of the most popular passages in the Bible. No, the fruit of the Spirit are really the genetic markers of a Christian. Or rather, they should be the genetic markers of a Christian. <clears throat> because so often we look at this list and we try to add them on top of everything else we have going on in our lives. And how does that go? Sometimes not so good. And Paul, he kind of makes it hard for us. These are deep-level character traits that Paul is talking about in the fruit of the Spirit. <clears throat> this is not some little behaviors that we can change. It's a battle, Paul tells us. He says uh, that the desires of the flesh are against the desires of the spirit and vice versa. Now, before, the battle was much easier. In fact, there wasn't a battle, was there? I mean, before I became a Christian, uh, I was conflict-free. I didn't have a care in the world. I just did whatever I wanted, right? So if you're a Christian and you're struggling, I have good news for you. <laughs> you might be on the right track, okay? It's actually a good sign. So we struggle. We try hard, right? We can even go to counseling, right? We can go see Pastor Mark, or we can go see Pastor David, right? But rather than a counselor, what we need is the counselor. What is the counselor? Who is the counselor another name for? The Holy Spirit, absolutely. Because it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are free not just to do the fruit of the Spirit, but we're free to live it. So it's in the power of the Spirit that the fruit of the Spirit becomes who we are rather than what we do. It becomes part of our character. So this morning, there's three things we're going to look at uh, when it comes to the freedom to live by the fruit. Okay, first of all, uh, what is freedom? What is it? Secondly, what's the point of freedom? And lastly, how can we be truly free? How can we have this bold and confident and deep freedom? Now, first up, freedom. Freedom! What is it? What is freedom? It's Braveheart, right? He was all about freedom, right? All the way to the end of the movie. That was a pretty bad ending. That was a bad ending for freedom. <laughs> but freedom, it's the great American virtue, isn't it? We just had the 4th of July, right? It's the American virtue above all virtues. And in Paul's very first words here in our passage this morning, he writes, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. So freedom is like a good Christian concept too, right? Now, here is a problem, though, with freedom. Most people would argue that if you can't 
do something, if you're prohibited from doing something, that that's not freedom. <clears throat> or they would say that if you have to do something else, if you're locked into it, that that's not real freedom either. And they would say that Christianity, they'd say, you know, you Christians, you're very oppressive. You know, you're oppressing people. You, that's not real freedom. All these rules and regulations you have and things that you can't do and things that you should be doing. So let's take a quick look at freedom for freedom's sake, okay? Freedom with no strings attached. No strings attached freedom. One of the great uh, modern stories in the search for freedom is a story of this guy named Christopher McCandless. You guys uh, might have heard of him. Uh, you know, they made a, uh, a book and a movie about him. It was called Into the Wild. He's this young, free-spirited, wild heart. He graduates law school, gives away all of his belongings, and he goes off the grid. Right? So he is a pilgrim in the truest sense in the search for freedom. And the book quotes this. It says, he was in search of the experiences, the memories, the great triumphant joy of living to the fullest extent in which real meaning is found. Now, I dig that guy, all right? That is what it's all about, isn't it, right? We want to go out and be free. We want to go out and experience the world, don't we? That's what we're all looking for. So he takes the furthest road he can find north in Alaska. He goes all the way to the end, and he starts walking, and he disappears. He's not seen for a long time. And eventually, uh, some hunters stumble upon his body. It's in a, in a hollowed-out shell of a bus near Mount McKinley. He's the example of endless freedom. It's an emaciated corpse in a sleeping bag, alone. He starved to death. What a depressing ending. That's even worse than Braveheart. <laughs> He's got max freedom. He's got it set to, like, let's go out and do it all. Let's go see the world. But in the end, what was all that freedom for? What did he achieve by it? So what is freedom? Let's check the dictionary, Okay. Freedom is, Merriam-Webster says, it's the absence of coercion, necessity, or restraint in choice of action. Basically, that we can do whatever we want. But there's a different version of freedom in Scripture. Paul's version is different here. And that brings us to our second point. If freedom isn't designed to exist in a vacuum, freedom for freedom's sake, what's the real point? Of freedom. What's the point? What do we do with all this freedom? We are in the freest country in the world, in the freest time in history, in the freest place. What about more choices, right? Freedom to choose. I can't even figure out what to watch on Netflix at night. I finally, and neither can my wife Tracy, okay? I finally come to the realization after 25 years of marriage that she wants me to pick the show. That's freedom, my friends, okay? <laughs> I still can't figure out what to watch, so I don't believe her. You've got to want to watch something. There's a social, uh, a social psychologist and professor named Jonathan Haidt. He says that when we have a bunch of choices, in fact, the more choices that we have, the less happier we are. Here's what he writes. Our infatuation with choice has disappointed us. 
when people are given a large array of options, they're less likely to make a choice and less satisfied with their choice if they do make one, whether it's picking chocolate or picking a career. And there's a popular TED talk along those lines by a guy named uh, Barry Schwartz, and he calls that the paradox of choice. It's a real dilemma, too much freedom. Maybe freedom for freedom's sake isn't the answer. Maybe freedom isn't the ultimate happiness. Now, Paul actually makes two points here in the what's the point of freedom, okay? Uh, he says that there's negative aspects to freedom and there's positive aspects to freedom, okay? So Christians are both free from something and we are free to do something else. And the first thing that Paul tells us is that we are free from something. Listen to this, verse 14 to 16. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So Paul says... Don't use freedom to indulge the flesh. And when Paul says flesh, he's not talking about skin and blood, like body bad, spirit good, that kind of thing. He's talking about the very seat of our rebellion to God. So instead of what God desires, instead of what God loves, it's what I desire and what I love. That is the flesh. And Paul, a very practical guy, he gives us a list. Verse 19 and 20. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness. And I'll skip that last one and I'll say, and the like. Now I know why John White used that version of the Bible, by the way. <laughs> These are actually the reverse of the fruit of the Spirit. These things in this list are the fruit of the flesh. Now, as Christians, we need to be honest with ourselves, okay? We like to let ourselves off the hook here. When we think about indulging the flesh, we think of all the big stuff that Paul leads with, right? Like sexual immorality. Uh, oh, we don't do that. Well, I hope we don't. But, you know, Paul is clever because he adds this other stuff in there. He just kind of peppers it in. He says rage, ambition, dissension, envy. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, can we say that we don't do any of that? Hmm. To admit that is tough, we try to weasel out, and here's how we do it. We say, nah, that's not us, okay? I don't do that. Because Paul says that those who do those things won't inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I know I'm saved. I know I can't lose my salvation, so that can't be me. He's not talking about me. But remember... If you're a Christ follower, if you are a Christian, because of what Christ did on the cross, because what he paid for, we've been found legally righteous. There's a document in heaven that says we're not going to be penalized for our sin and that God looks at us as if we were as pure as Christ. So we are legally righteous, but we are not actually righteous. We can't forget that. And what, but what Paul is saying here to put it in context is if you embrace this stuff, if you don't think it's wrong, if these things are holding power over you, if you're enslaved to it, if you're not free from it, if you have to do it, if there's no struggle, 
Maybe you should worry. Think about it. The reason that we sin. Why do we sin? Because at that moment, whatever we are doing, however we are sinning, we love that thing, that thing we're doing, more than we love God. We desired it more than we desired God at that moment. And we have to have it. And we're angry because we didn't get it. Or we're jealous of somebody who got it and I didn't get it. So we envy them. All three of those things are right in Paul's naughty list. So here's how it translates in the church world. Uh, you know, my ministry is very important to me, okay? The fact that I said my ministry, that's like a tip-off on the front end, right? It's a big deal to me, okay? But maybe so-and-so's ministry is more successful than mine, okay? So I've got a little inferiority complex going on, don't I? Or we're conceited, you know? If you're not in a life group, you're just not as spiritual as I am. Now, as a life group pastor, I can say, if you're in a life group, you are very spiritual, I'm just kidding, okay? That's not what life groups are about. But you get what I'm saying, right? So instead of loving people, we're just using the people in church around us to gauge where we think we stand with God. Maybe God will love me more if I do this. So it makes us ambitious, overly ambitious. So there's discord and there's factions, like it says in our passage, and the foundations get laid for backbiting and the devouring of each other, like it says in verse 15. But then guess what happens? We go to counseling, right? Sometimes with Pastor Mark or Pastor David, but most of the time with the counselor, with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit reminds us that we are free from all that. He reminds us that we are loved and accepted by the God of the universe no matter what. So it should be making us less feeling the need to act that way. We should be less angry. We should be less envious, less conceited. We should be less depressed even because we are accepted. We shouldn't feel inferior. The gospel should be freeing us from all of that. So we're free from, we're free from all that, but we're free from what are we free to? To find myself? to discover what I'm meant to do, my talents. I say that kind of sarcastically, but, you know, we're all created to find those things. It's built within, within our, our source code. We want to know what the answer to those questions are. But we're looking in all the wrong places. Paul says you are free from, and you are free to live like this. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now in verse 16 and 17, Paul writes, So, because of all that, because of those things, the ways you should be living, the things you're free to do, because of that, I say, walk by the Spirit. Here's how you do it. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So Paul says we're free from something, and he turns around and says, but you have to do this other thing over here. Free from the flesh to walk in the spirit. Now, if we want to be good at something, let's be frank about it, like play an instrument, right, Lee? If I want to play an instrument, Lee, I'm going to have to spend a lot of time practicing, right? What about our health? 
I'm going to have to spend a few hours at the gym every week, maybe. I have to, like, not do three hours worth of, of a bunch of other stuff, and I have to go to the gym to make sure I'm healthy, or I have to limit what I eat or my caloric intake, right? I have to eat right. So maybe freedom isn't the absence of all restrictions, then, is it? Maybe it's in finding the right ones. Now, let's apply that to the fruit of the Spirit, because this gets a little tricky here. Now, remember, these are all character traits that Paul Paul has given us, so they're deep-seated heart issues. So can you just change your attitude? How many times have we said that to our kids, by the way? I want you to change your attitude, young lady. Now, does that ever really work, practically? Sometimes, for a little while. So I'm going to be joyful and peaceful, right? And I'm going to be patient or else. Now, you may, be, you may manage to be patient at work all day long, okay? But then you blow up at the dinner table when someone spills their drink, right? Now, I didn't have sippy cups when I was growing up as a kid. That was the one unforgivable sin. You cannot spill your drink at the dinner table. The last time I ran away from the dinner table when I was growing up, I was 18 years old. I left in tears. And that night, I had invited a girl I started dating over for the first time to meet my family. And I had buddies from college over. I left the table in tears. Don't worry, she thought I was sensitive, okay? (laughs) Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you're patient and kind at work, right? Maybe you're, joy- I mean, maybe, you're, maybe you're patient and kind and joyful at home, but at work, you're a tyrant. You're like a tyrant boss. And everybody at work would be like totally shocked to know you go to church on Sunday. All right? <laughs> so you're essentially living two lives. It's compartmented. Which one is the real you? Which one? Which one comes naturally? That's a tough question to ask, isn't it? Because the fruit of the Spirit is supposed to be natural. This fruit is the spiritual farm to table. I told my wife I get that line in today. I hate farm to table. We wouldn't go to a restaurant, it's farm to table. Everything's farm to table. But the fruit of the Spirit, it's organic, it's natural. This fruit, okay, maybe it's pear shaped sometimes. But it's all supposed to grow up proportionally, right? It all grows together. It's not all deformed, all right? So if you've only got one or two of these traits, but none of the rest of them, maybe it's just your personality. Don't give, you, give yourself too much credit. Because if you're a Christian, you should see signs of all of these things growing together. But it's tough. It's a battle. It's like being at the dullest playing pole. Oh, yeah. I worked at the airport for six years. It was a big event every year. You can strain and move that 777 a few yards, but that's it. And even when you move it like six feet, you're like, oh, yeah. We win. We did it. We're strong. Look at us. But that's not how that plane was designed to really move, is it? So what are we missing? What are we leaving out here? Here's some hints. Right in our passage, Paul keeps saying, walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, right? 
Live by the Spirit. It's the fruit of the... Yes, it's the fruit of the Spirit. So we're trying to get the fruit without the Spirit. We're trying to do the fruit of the Spirit and the power of the flesh. Verse 18 says this, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, this is kind of a strange thing for Paul to say, actually. Because you would normally think Paul would say, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the flesh. Right? But he says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Isn't the law good? Well, it depends on how you try to do the law. Not if you're trying to do it in the power of the flesh. If you're doing all the things that God wants us to do, if you're trying to do the fruit of the Spirit so people will notice you or God will love you more, if we're gentle and we have self-control and we're patient, but we're doing it not for the sake of others, if we're doing it for our sake so we can feel good about ourselves, so we can feel worthy and significant, guess what? Flesh. And we want you to try. We want you to try to do that. But if you're under the law, it's hanging over you like a sword. The very purpose of the law is to show you you're a complete failure. That's the hardest part of the gospel to accept, is that the gospel expects nothing but failure from us. It expects us to fail. It expects nothing else. It knows you're going to fail. And deep down inside, that's really the hardest part of being a Christian, is accepting that, because we're all legalists at heart. It's a real stretch to think you can run down that runway with a rope, pulling that triple seven and fling it into the air. It's just not going to happen because that's not how it was designed to fly. How many of you guys here follow like Elon Musk and Tesla and all that stuff? They're trying to get all their, their car numbers up and all that and meet their production deadlines. How many of you guys think that Elon Musk is going to wind up in prison someday? <laughs> But, you know, they have a really neat product. Tesla is a really awesome product. I mean, it's like all computerized and technology and all that, right? So Consumer Report recently gave Tesla a bad grade, right? Consumer Report's the Bible of buying stuff. So they said that Tesla's breaking and stopping distance was very poor, very poorly rated. So te what Tesla did, and I give them a tip and a hat for this, is they sent an overnight update out via Wi-Fi at everybody's house. <laughs> they sent an upgrade to the operating system of the car. <clears throat> and drivers were reporting that the next day they got in their car to drive around, and it was behaving completely differently than it had the day before. The braking issues were gone. It was driving like a totally different car. It was fundamentally different. Now, in the same way, Isaiah 10 tells us something neat about the end when God has finally finished redeeming the world. Lions will lay down with lambs. Children will be able to play with cobras. In other words, their fundamental nature is going to be changed. That's the kind of change I'm talking about. At the fundamental core operating system level, they're completely changed. The change from who we are 
to who we're meant to be is going to be as drastic as night and day. And it starts the moment you accept Christ as your Savior. So how can I be free like that? How can Christ free me? How can I be truly free? That's my last point. How can we be truly free? How can I be free? How can I have a deep, confident, bold freedom? You better lose your freedom in order to gain it. You better lose it to gain it. That's the great paradox. Luther wrote about it in his little book on freedom. He said that uh, the Christian is free Lord over all, subject to none, totally free, right? But at the same time, he is the servant of all. Here's how we do it. The things you used to love in the flesh, that you used to uh, desire, need to be replaced with something you love and desire more. Okay? The things you used to love in the flesh, that you used to desire, need to be replaced with something you love and desire more. Even Jesus said, hey, you can drive the demons out, okay? You can be free from, but if it's not replaced with something you love more, a stronger demon's coming in. Now, when I graduated college, I had a group of friends, okay? We said, we'll never abandon each other. We said, we're a brotherhood. Nothing will ever come between us, especially girls. Then guess what happened? Tracy. Hi, Schmoopy. No, you're Schmoopy. You hang up first. No, you hang up first. All right, let's count to three, and then we'll hang up at the same time. My friends were like, they're like, who is this guy? I don't know who he is. He must be living in hell. She's leading him around by the nose. He can't even stay out late anymore. Man, he's got to be miserable. He's a totally different person. But for me, the person who is in love, I was never freer. So everything that I adjusted for Tracy, I actually wanted to do it. I wanted to do it. I didn't feel constrained. I didn't feel limited. I was soaring. The plane was flying how it was designed to fly because I was with the one I was supposed to be with. Love will change a person at their very core. Most people will tell you that they feel the freest when they're in love with somebody. But it also means that you can't determine your own freedom. Okay, Blake, when you love somebody, isn't like changing like a two-way street? Didn't like Tracy change for you too? So if God is completely moral and holy and perfect, and I'm trying to be more holy and moral and perfect, what's he doing? Doesn't he need to change for me? Well, actually, he did. He loved you. He gave up his freedom, his perfect bachelor life, his seat at the right hand of God. God took on the form of a man in Jesus. And as Isaiah 8 says, here's what Jesus said, here I am, here I am. 
with the children you've given me. Since they have flesh and blood, I will have flesh and blood. So will I, so that I may break the power over their enslavement. Come on up, Lee. You know, Jesus in his first sermon said, I have come to set the captives free. I've come to free them. I've come to break them from their slavery. How can we not love him for that? How can we not? When you're meeting Christ like that, it's a whole new dimension of love that you didn't know you were capable of before. And you're meeting him over and over. You're spending time with him and you're loving him more in ways that you didn't think you could. The possibilities keep, it's exponential. It's so beyond what you knew before, whether it's that first moment or whether you've been a Christian for 20 years. He is the one you were meant to be with. You know, even Christopher McCandless began to get it in the end. They went through his stuff and they found his body in that bus. And he had a bunch of books. One of them was Tolstoy, Family Happiness. And he had, a, he had a sentence in it underlined. And it said, he was right in saying that the only certain happiness in life is to live for others. He's almost there. He's so close. To live for God, to live for Jesus, to love one another, to love your neighbor as yourself, to live by the fruit. You know, if you are not a Christian today, I want to invite you into a relationship with the one that you know you were always meant to be with. And if you are a Christian, you've been a Christian your whole life, maybe. Maybe you're trying to do the fruit of the Spirit and the power of the flesh. Ask the counselor to come to you. Let him remind you of what Jesus did for you to be with you. We have prayer corners up here after service. If you want to make a decision to follow Christ today, I want you to come up here and we will pray with you. Or come see me, I'll be up here as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for what you did on the cross, Lord. Uh, We thank you for the freedom you've given us, Lord. And we thank you that freedom isn't just some aimless, wandering adventure uh, on on a trail in the Shenandoah, Lord. That freedom is living for you, living for God, living for others, loving. That's where happiness really lies, Heavenly Father. Every head bowed and every eye closed right now. I want to pray for you. If you've never decided to be with the one who died for you, if you've never decided that Jesus was the one you're meant to be with, if you've never decided to become a Christian, I want you to stick a finger in the air because I want to pray for you. I promise no one's looking. I'm not going to tell but I want to pray for you. You can decide in your seat right now today that you want to follow Jesus. Just stick it up in the air. God bless you. And if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian your whole life even, and you want the power of the Holy Spirit, you want to be in that love relationship where you're excited about the fruit and it becomes who you are, I want you to stick your finger in the air so I can pray for you right now, too. Is that you? Is that you, Christian? God bless you. God bless you. 
I'm going to give all of you guys credit for putting your hand in the air because I know what's in your heart. It's our biggest desire. Sometimes we don't even know it. Lord, I pray for Cedar Run, that we would come to know the gospel in a way that we just have never known it before, that our love would expand the more we think of you, Jesus, that we would love you in ways we never knew we could, and that be reflected in the things that we do. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.